the owner should be the chief people person. Can't be anymore. And it doesn't mean you're taking away authority or accountability or responsibility from your team. But what you are doing is getting in touch with the people doing certain things and what it builds a culture of feeling like they're cared for. You're listening to Toolbox of the Trades, brought to you by Service Titan, a podcast for top service professionals where we interview leaders for their best tips and tricks of the trades. Learn how industry trailblazers stay ahead of the competition and how you too can be at the forefront of an industry. Let's jump in. Hello, contractors, and welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades. Today's guest is Jamie DiDomenico, the president of Cool Today, Plumbing Today, and Energy Today in Sarasota, Florida. Jamie has over 300 employees and generates over $23 million per year on service agreements alone. And he's an all-around fantastic guy. We talked about how, as an owner, developing your people and taking accountability is the key to incredible success. We also spoke about what it's like to sell your company to a private equity group. Jamie sold his company to the Wrench Group in February 2019, but still acts as an owner and investor in the company. I really enjoyed chatting with Jamie, and I think you'll really enjoy listening to him. During the conversation, we reference a webinar we did on memberships. You can find a link to that in the show notes of this episode. Enjoy! Jamie DiDomenico, welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades podcast. Thank you for the invite. I'm super excited to have you here. You've been a member of the Service Titan family for quite some time. And I have the privilege of working not only with your son, but one of your former coworkers who used to have nothing but wonderful things to say about you. But for anyone who does not know who you are, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure, I'm uh, Jamie Domenico. I'm the president and CEO of Cool Today, Plumbing Today, Energy Today, based out of Sarasota, Florida. Uh, We cover the west coast of Florida from north of Tampa down to uh, Naples. Uh, So it's pretty much the entire west coast of Florida. And um, started in the business in 1981 and uh, bought my first business in 2004 and uh, sold it to the Wrench Group in 2019. Still an investor, uh, so still an owner in the business. And uh, currently we have about 300 employees. That's incredible. And what I think is so interesting about your origin story is that unlike many folks, you did not start out as a technician. So why don't you give, I mean, there's so much about your history I want to dig into, but why don't you tell the folks listening how you got into the trades? Uh, It was a fluke. And uh, (laughs) maybe there's some listeners uh, saying, yep, it was you know, a large percentage of us back in the early 80s were pushed into it because our family was in it. Uh, I got in it because uh, it was there was a night job available in Boca Raton, Florida for a stock, uh, stock guy, stock person uh, from 11 p.m. to 7 in the morning. And I was already working a day job working for a cable company installing cable boxes. So I was working two jobs. So... Um, it was an opportunity to get a night job to supplement the income because uh, I needed to work two jobs just to kind of build something. I was in college up up in New York and I 
proceeded to flunk out of college, um, or I left college before they flunked me out. So I was, uh, I had a good background in education in high school, uh, never saw myself working in the trades, but I needed a job. I think dollars an hour. And uh, so I was going to do that and eventually quit the day job and go back to school. So it so happens that that job, I ended up staying there from 1981 to 1997. So I ended up being there 16 years at a place called Encore Service America, turn it to Service America. We bought Ron Smith's name and I worked there uh, almost 17 years. Dang. And I never worked in the field. But you worked on the back end side. So the office side, accounting, I know you were really deep in financing uh, as well, correct? I ran the dispatch division. I ran customer service. I ran the commercial division. And I yes, I was in accounting. Uh, I, I pretty much went from that warehouse job right into accounting because they needed somebody to process uh, payables. And I knew I had some accounting background in New York. I think that was one or two of the classes I, I didn't skip. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I did that. The thing is, and I tell this to employees today, especially field employees, I never did what you guys did, like most of your bosses have, but I have a fine appreciation for what you do because I was always in the support role for you. The people in the office, uh, other than sales, they're not generating revenue. You guys are revenue generators. Our job is to support you so that you have the opportunity to generate more quality revenue and serve the customers. So my job was helping getting parts to you. My job was helping uh, making sure the calls were booked in the proper fashion. My job's making sure we expedited the calls to you uh, in the dispatch department. And my job was eventually managing you, but my focus was always making sure you were supported because I appreciate the trades, the skilled trades, and I appreciate the people crawling through attics, through, uh, through sub-basements, on roofs. I appreciate them because the work they do is why we're here. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic explanation. I Same, same with me too. Uh, that's why I started the podcast. So, you know, 81 to 97, definitely a longer duration than most folks would take a, a night or a supplemental job. Uh, was there a specific moment while you were at Encore where you were like, ooh, there's some opportunity here that I really want to explore? You know, when I got into accounting, initially I was just a payables clerk, but I, I did a, a pretty good job to where they promoted me to an account accountant uh, during that um, from, 19, from 1982 to 1993, I worked in the accounting department there. And I saw a future where I could be a CFO or something like that. So I went back to school. I got my business degree. And then I got my master's degree in accounting. And I passed the CPA exam the first time. Congrats. Yeah. One and done. <laughs> uh, and by the way, CPA stands for can't pass again. So you take it once. Uh, you better run with it. Um, so I passed the CPA and I was eventually the controller of that company. And that company was a $50 million company back in the early nineties and work, working in two States. So I really thought my, uh, my life would be in accounting. And then along came a merger with Rotor in 1993. And I had the opportunity to go into operations. 
So I went into operations and that's when I started uh, managing all these different facets of a very large company. And I really enjoyed it because accounting was the, the part I enjoyed about accounting is a sense of accomplishing something every single month. And no matter how busy a company is or how slow a company is, accounting is always busy, <laughs> right? We're the busy counting the money coming in or counting the money going out, making sure the financials are right, making sure that the, uh, the supporting documentation, controlling cash, and making sure operations has all the information they need to make good decisions. That's what I felt the role of accounting was. But then I, when I moved into operations, I felt more like a playmaker where uh, accounting is the, the um, I might as well put the accounting to the front line on a football team, right? Either yeah. defense or offense. It's the, it's the line that protects. But then you have the quarterback and you have the running back and you have the wide receivers and they're making all the scores. Doesn't make that line any less important. It makes it really important. But you feel a sense of accomplishment when you're scoring runs and scoring touchdowns, scoring revenue, uh, scoring growth, uh, scoring, acquiring great people, new processes, new ways to develop customers. So it, it, that's the way I felt when I got into the operations side. I felt a real sense of satisfaction because I love people. I love working with people and people who know me know the fact that I'm very social and I'm very connected in the industry. I'm not, I'm not one of those wallflowers, quiet wallflowers, very successful people, very quiet doing their business, but they're not involved in the industry. They're not fighting the utility competition. They're not really supporting ACCA or they're not part of a industry group or they're not going to Pantheon, you know, I love those things and it's not to brag, but it's because I want to pay it forward to the business that really gave me my lifestyle and gave me my opportunity. So yes, I didn't expect to stay in the business. And when I shifted into operations, they saw something and they promoted me to open a first branch in West Palm beach in 1995. Mm-hmm. And I did very well in those two, two years. I was running that branch, but then I had an opportunity to move on and go to work for a consolidator because my, the president and CEO of that company was plucked from the company uh, to uh, build uh, a company now known as Blue Dot in 1997. And I was very proud that I was the first operations person he had joined. And uh, I busted my butt for uh, with Blue Dot from 1997 to 2003. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. we we built that company, and of course, people know the story. We had to dis- disband it because the parent company went bankrupt. It was utility. So, um, but it was a great run. A lot of good people from Encore Service America went to that entity. And then we are together again at Wrench, a lot of good people. So um, yeah, I saw it come full circle. That's awesome. There's so many really great things about your story. One is that I, I appreciate your honesty about how you flunked out of college the first time. But once you got into the real world and you got your accounting experience, it sounds like that gave you the motivation to not only get certified as a CPA, but also get your MBA. That's Incredible. That's almost like, you know, I, when I think about college and I think about pushing kids to college right out of high school, 
I started college when I was 17. I was, uh, I was young and dumb. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it sounds like you really just got into the world and you figured out what your niche was. Well, you know, when I went into college, I got scholarships and some loans and uh, some grants because my parents were very poor. And, but when I got to college, I didn't appreciate what college could do for me. I appreciated more of the fact that I, I was around a lot of people and there was a lot of parties and I was in a fraternity and I lost sight of what was important because I got into college at 17. Mm. But once I was out of college and then when I first got out of college and came down to Florida, I was working uh, as a construction laborer in 94 degree weather in the summer. I started to appreciate what college could have done for me. So when I got, went back to work, I said, well, I got to support myself now. Now I have to figure out how to go to college when there was no internet and online learning. And so it was very tough. But the second time around, um, I had a full appreciation for what college can do. Now, doesn't mean today, if you don't go to college, you don't have a path. Because I know a lot of fellow friends in the business who are millionaires who never went to college but they did the right things and they learned through the college of life. So the industry can be your college too, but it's not going to be your college. If you're partying, (laughs) if you're taking cash out of the business, if your personal life is not squared away and uh, you're not tending to the business because the business is, is your opportunity uh, to create the lifestyle you want but it fools people because they jump into it and they think it's easy and they, they don't pay the attention that they should. And that's why so many businesses fail in the first five years. So you don't have to go to college to to do well in this trade, but you have to love, you have to love people. You have to be humble and you have to constantly learn and implement. Yep. A hundred percent agree. And I wanted to hammer on the college point only because I think up until you, there've only been a handful of people who actually are college trained that I've spoken with. So I just wanted to provide that, you know, juxtaposed point of view. Um, Let's talk about, you know, your experience going from Encore to Blue Dot and then later to NNM, which you rebranded as cool today. Talk to me about what you learned being on the back end of the business and not being an owner operator yet about and how you were able to what were like the biggest things that really opened your eyes and prepared you for the success that you know is now cool today plumbing today and energy today okay well you know what when i so being in uh encore we were part of a company called aramark oh aramark like aramark food services and yes food ah. forms so we were this little investment they made in the business and this, this was a billion dollar company back in the 90s. And honestly, we were just a spec. It was, it, we were this out of industry investment that they had that they didn't really know what to do with. So they sold us to Rotorooter, who that is their business, right? Plumbing yeah. service drains. And they started investing in different types of companies. So being part of Rotorooter, we got a lot more focus from corporate. They did things like leadership development. They did a lot of uh, things and upgrading our systems and stuff like that. So Rotary was much more hands-on and it also brought over some of their managers to work in our business. And that's how I've gotten to know people like Paul Smith and Paul Kelly, who were really from uh, Rotary and now they're 
part of our, our industry. So the first thing I learned was investing in your people, investing in the right people always pays off. And uh, it paid off for them because I worked hard for that company for years. And I saw other people develop doing that. So investing in your people is critical. The other thing I learned is when you're going to buy a company and you're going to make lots of changes, be upfront, be open and make sure you're transparent. The worst thing you can do is say nothing will change and change everything. So um, I saw that as observational and being on the other end of being an acquired company that is Rotor coming in and uh, making some mistakes uh, on the people culture side. So um, I learned those things right away in that transition. And then while I was working, when I started with Blue Dot, that was the thing I took away. And when I went in and talked to a new company, I said, listen, things are gonna change. It's gonna start on the accounting and HR side of it first. But I don't expect us to go in and just mess up your service delivery system. But whatever we do, I'll be very careful to make sure we communicate it right up front. And um, as long as employees know things can change and there's an opportunity, the people who are going to be committed are going to stay. The people who are never committed, they're going to flight, right? The people who are hiding, they're going to run. And um, so I learned it's always good to communicate that clearly. The other thing I learned is you got to take some of your money that you're making and invest it back in your people. If you do not do that, it's like, it's like an airplane not having a full tank of gas. Uh, you're going to burn a whole bunch of gas on takeoff, but you're not going to fly very far. Mm. And so you need to constantly, constantly keep that tank full so that you know you can get a long distance. Um, there's a reason why there's so many industry businesses that I've known from the 90s that are a shell of what they used to be, either because they were acquired by a consolidator that did not understand the culture and tried to change everything, or they were sold to somebody else or handed to the next generation, and they didn't follow through with what was important, and that is investing in your people, managing for results, always learning, and always developing new ideas. And that's where, like, for instance, service tightened, right? I mean, there's a lot of companies who went for the ride with Service Titan early on. And those companies stuck through a lot of challenges Service Titan had in developing their own product. But if they used it properly as a tool, right, and then did the other things with their people, what they found is their people embraced the software and what it can do better than they even did. And those companies took off like a rocket ship. So, and it wasn't just service type. It was part, it's just another tool and tool belt, right? And there's a lot of successful companies today that are still not on service type, thank goodness, because that means you have sales opportunities. So you have to invest in your, so I learned that quickly. And then when I was with Blue Dot, I was always involved uh, with the former owners, presidents of these companies we bought. But I also got to know the people that work for them because I knew they were the future. So mm. that was really uh, eye-opening for them because they never got education. I sent them to, you know, uh, different types of training, leadership training. We spent the money on them. We invested in them. And some of them went on to start their own businesses after Pluto and they're doing very well today. So it's, it, it's really good to see. 
That's a wonderful nugget of knowledge you just dropped that I really want to highlight is if you decide to go the route of acquiring a business, it's so important to look at the people you are acquiring and identify who those leaders are early on and really get them on board with your team. Doesn't mean you're not going to make a mistake. I've made a few mistakes right here in Florida. If an owner says, listen, this is my second in command, I'm going to leave. And this person's it. You don't, uh, you don't not make the investment because you don't connect with them. The people around them are watching to see what you do with them and will determine whether you'll be fair with themselves. So it bit me a couple of times because they weren't the right person. I knew it early on, Yeah. but I had to go through the motions with them and give them the opportunity to succeed and fail on their own. So uh, it, hurt, it could hurt your business short term, but long term, it'll always pay off. So it doesn't mean you don't make mistakes along the way. You just own up to mistakes, you learn from them and you do better the next time. Yeah, transparency for sure. Be transparent. Has it ever, have you ever gotten a bad first impression? I say bad just for simple, simplistic terms. Have you ever gotten a bad first impression from some uh, owner who was like, this is my second command and you're like, oh, I don't feel great about that guy. But then when presented with the opportunity, he, actually, he or she actually flourished? Um, not really. Uh, most of the time it's, you know what? I wouldn't have a beer with this guy. If my life depended on it, I wouldn't go out for dinner. I wouldn't have a cup of coffee, but his business looks like a nice business. So I'm going to hold my nose and buy this business. It happened at Blue Dot. It happened here. And the, the one thing I've learned is the business is always a reflection of the owner. And if that owner is somebody that doesn't match your personality, their people aren't going to match the personalities you're looking for. And you have mm -hmm. to turn the whole thing over. So that's my first uh, general rule is if you won't have a beer or a cup of coffee or go out to dinner or go to a, a sporting event with this owner, don't buy them. No matter how good the company looks, they're for somebody else because they're not going to fit your culture. Uh, they're not going to fit what your mission is. Um, and they're not going to probably conform to your values. And I'm not talking about just the owner. I'm talking about the people that work for them. If they're the type to um, change parts out and be part sellers or to be very short-term uh, customer thinking or um, not worry about reviews or not invest in their people, um, they're not going to be a good acquisition. So. That's the, the one thing I learned. If you, if, you, if you can't have a really great relationship with somebody's business you're buying, don't buy the business. Don't buy it. And no matter how good it looks, because you'll, you'll always be sorry. I, I've yet to see a situation where uh, I said, okay, I'm going to acquire this thing. I don't like him. I'm glad he's leaving. And then, wow, the people are rock stars. You know, crap begets crap sometimes. Oh, yes. Uh, thank you for your transparency there. I really appreciate it. Um, let's talk about NNM. So after leaving Blue Dot, you decided to um, purchase NNM, which was a residential service company in, your, in Florida, and you rebranded it to Cool Today. Talk to me about what was the decision to A, buy a business that was already in operation opposed to starting your own, and uh, B, kind of what your initial plan was, because you rebranded fairly quickly, I believe, right? 
Yeah, within um, two years. A 42-year-old business, too. Oh, so dang. It's always uh, some risk associated with that. To buy my own business? Well, I had help. I had some friends in the with Blue Dot. And uh, one, uh, one I'm still working with today, his name is Ken Haynes. He's the CEO of Wrench. He was my partner and Tom Wells out of Indiana who owns a company uh, up there called Williams Comfort Air, but he also owned Dial One. He sold a couple of companies to different uh, different entities. So they were, they were friends of mine. They were the people I do want to have a beer with and have mm-hmm. coffee with and go to dinner with. And they uh, said, hey, this, uh, so NNM, interesting enough, was part of Blue Dot and it was the third company bought by Blue Dot in that early 1998. And I did the due diligence on it as a Blue Dot VP. So I bought the company for Blue Dot and I bought it for myself. So I guess I'm one of the few people in the country that bought the same company twice. <laughs> uh, so they said, hey, this, this company is available. Ken called me on the phone and said, hey, you know, it's going to be a really good deal. You just have to move to the West Coast because we're not going to buy this thing unless you're running it. So I talked to my wife. She was very supportive, moved three kids across the state. Um, and I bought it in March of 2004. It was doing about one point, it closed out at 1.7 million that previous December, had about 16 employees, all service replacement. But boy, it was a uh, fixer upper. It was that jalopy in the backyard that needed, uh, you know, a fresh paint, some, a, lot of, a lot of metal replaced, you know, undercarriage, new motor. It was definitely a fixer upper. And, um, Sarasota is a good market, but not a big market, 600,000 people. So it wasn't in a big market where you get the big impact. So I knew I had to approach it differently. I wanted to get into plumbing, electrical. I wanted to really drive service agreements. And that's my mantra is really service agreements, relationships with the customer because it's a smaller community. It's all about relational sales. And, um, and the thing I realize is uh, it's going to be a tough go because we're going to have to turn over a lot of people because they were doing the business the same way for the last couple of years. And really, Blue Dot just sucked the life out of the customer base. So 2004, I bought the business. Phones weren't ringing. It was really going sideways. It wasn't making any money. It was really losing money. And um, and we had to make some tough calls, tough, tough decisions. Invested in the business. We put cash infusion, risked a lot. And... Um, changed the name, rebranded it. I knew NNM was not a good name to market. So cool today, here we come. And uh, found some good people along the way. And those people are still here today and they're helping run the companies. Technicians, installers, I'm a really believer of developing people from within, not hiring uh, from outside unless it's a CFO or something like that. Um, so, uh, what I've learned, what I learned right away is I brought the experiences of being acquired and use that. Have meetings with all your staff. Talk about strategy. Talk about what you're doing. Um, be transparent. Hey, we're not making any money. I'm going to tell you that right now. Don't worry about your payroll because this business cash flows, but we're not making the money we need to make. And there was times there, 2008 was tough, right? And it was scary making payroll. So, um, so it was a journey of development for me. And uh, what I learned is you don't know everything. You have to get help no matter what level you're at. You could have a college degree. You could have 
25 years in the business, but you're always learning. So that's why I networked a lot. And uh, the best ideas in this business are other people's ideas that people improve on. There's really not a lot of inventiveness, right? Everybody can get service tightened. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, everybody totally. can get service tightened. But not everybody's optimizing service tightening. Right? Their Titan scores are 40, but they're on service Titan. Yep. They're not investing in their people, they're not sending them to Pantheon. They're not sending them to uh, uh, advanced training uh, with service Titan. They're not, they're not in, they're not optimizing an asset. So we are all in the same playing field. We could all buy the same equipment. We could all buy uh, the same software, um, but we can't get the same people. Mm. And that's the difference maker. And then once you get the really good people, keeping them motivated, keeping them focused, that's the difference maker because they're going to use the tools better than you ever have. So um, I, I've learned a lot in this business and I've got some great peers out there who helped, you know, Dave Geiger from Horizon, you know, obviously Ken Haynes from Cool Ray, Paul Kelly from Parker and Sons, you know, really uh, great people. Um, and I've know, know, I know so many other people who are industry icons. And, uh, and I got to know a lot of people just being part of like Nexstar, which is a, uh, which is a great peer to peer organization that is really best practices. So um, sometimes I like to call them better practices because when you say best practices, you think that's the best, but there's always a better way. So I call better practices. Uh, ground level practices. You should be definitely doing these practices, but figure out how you can make them a little bit better for your business. <laughs> I love what you said there because I, I talk to owners like you all the time and some people that have, achie- have achieved incredible success in this industry. And I love how you differentiate, the, the main differentiator is really how you treat your people and really investing in that asset. And because the better your people are, the better your business will perform. Um, so we're kind of jumping around here a little bit, but I feel like this is the best organic place to really talk about your culture and how you invest in your own people. Cause you've already said this is the main differentiator in your service business. So what are some techniques that you implement at cool today, energy today, plumbing today to really, you know, show your people that you care. Inv- I mean, you've already said sending them to best practices, sending them to Pantheon, all that kind of stuff. Is there any other type of te- tactical advice that you would give to fellow owners? I'm going to get real practical here, uh, ground level, as you put it. Yeah, ground level Um, practices. One of the things, uh, and I've seen this a lot, and I've recently seen this, the the owners are running a business, but they're not really knowing who is working for them and what their story is. I'm always interested in the story, right? And I'll give you an example. Val, she's working in dispatch here. She was closing out invoices, right? And we're just chit-chatting. Just like I chit chat with all the employees and the owner of the company standing there, just chit chat. Tell me about yourself. Where are you from? What did you do? You go, Oh, you went to college. Val identified as being, uh, well, she was always very cordial and she was always very open and easy for people to talk to. And she handled pressure so well in uh, being a dispatcher and an invoicer. And she was amazingly fast. And then I'm talking to her and she, she was studying to be a, not an accountant, but an actuary, 
Now, actuary is geekdom. It's accounting squared in geekdom. I mean, it is all numbers, quantitative methods, statistics. And she was studying to be that. And I'm like, what are you doing here? Well, she had moved back from New York to take care of her parents, da, da, da. And, you know, cool today was hiring and seemed like a nice place. And so the more I got to know her, the more I, I, I was like pushing the team to really give her more to learn. And uh, when Service Titan uh, was an option for us, I needed somebody to lead the charge and wanted Val to be our Service Titan integrator. And I knew she would do great. And you know what? Obviously, she impressed Service Titan so much as she's there. <laughs> and um, so, so my advice, getting back to it, always know the story of your employees. Don't rely on some intermediary manager uh, to tell you who the best people for certain things are. It doesn't mean I subverted the manager and I, I didn't make decisions on their discipline, on their raises or anything like that. But what I did is I got to know them and say, wow, this person would be great doing this. And then you just coax the manager to say, I need this person for this. It'll be better for the company. And they would they'd go find another invoicer, right? And in the case of service Titan, we didn't really need that additional invoicer because the techs are doing half the work, right? Yeah. So, so there was an opportunity to uh, move somebody to the right seat on the bus. But I was the owner. But the owner should be the chief people person mm. until can't be anymore. And it doesn't mean you're taking away authority or accountability or responsibility from your team. But what you are doing is getting in touch with the people doing certain things and what it builds a culture of feeling like they're cared for. Right. That just, it annoys people sometimes because, you know, sometimes I'm late getting somewhere because I'm talking to five or six people in the parking lot in the warehouse or in customer service. But every day you do that, and, and, and Roto-Rooter, they taught us very early on, one of the manager's responsibilities is to, to do MBWA. And that was the acronym for manage by walking around. <laughs> and it's really no different than a uh, production manager on a line in a factory walking through, seeing how the quality is going, the assembly line here. It's the same thing in the service business. What you're doing is you're getting in touch with people. You could tell if somebody's having a bad day and sometimes it has nothing to do with work. And sometimes it's something you can help them with. And you, know, you don't know what your people are going through. And we always expect this output every single day. I want in service, you better be generating $1,500 a day. You better be having a $400 average ticket, $500 average ticket, $700 average. There's something behind the numbers. There's a person and you don't know if they have a sick relative. You don't know if they have a sick parent. You don't know if they have a suicidal brother. You don't know if their sister or brother is overseas and, and we're at war. You don't know what, and once you find out, um, you could be so much more impactful to them. 
And sometimes it's just good advice and sometimes it's just an arm around the shoulder or a hug. And um, that helps build the culture. And it's, it gets harder when you have 300 people and it, the part of this time right now I hate the most is COVID's driving wedges. I, I don't, I hate social distancing. I understand why you need it. I understand masks and I'm not an anti-masker. But I think over time, if it doesn't change, it will injure, hurt, or transform some companies, whether you like it or not. So I'm not just going to Zoom somebody and say, how are you doing? Right? They would find it very weird, number one. And number two, it's not the same feelings like, you know, they're not going to be open and it's not going to be in the, in the heat of the moment. So culture is something that's influenced and driven by the leadership. And then at some point they have to do a good job handing off that culture to people that are going to continue it on, maybe adjust it a little bit, maybe transform it a bit, but the basic elements are there. So and that's my next challenge at some point in my career. I know I don't look it, but I'm getting up there. I have to figure out how to, how to hand off that culture leadership uh, to the next level. And uh, the people I understand the best are the people who've been with me long enough to understand how I think and how we treat our customers and our employees. Yeah. Uh, I love that. As you were talking, I was thinking about how, you know, if you look at an owner as like the captain, captain of a ship, driver of a bus, whichever metaphor, and the finding the right seat on the right, getting the right person on the right seat on the bus is a metaphor that's been used a couple times in my interviews. Um, you really have to be tactical and know what your players are, know what they're going through. And that's the only way that you can really grow your business. But also when you peel back the numbers and the money, really it's just people work, people connecting with people. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? When we take away the business element of it, the success element of it, we're, you know, when you leave this earth, what are you? You're just someone who connected with other people. So I kind of got a little bit of that from your answer. And I, so I hope you don't mind that I got a little out there with it, but uh, I really, I really like that. Um, so, you know, speaking of, you know, you thinking about your next steps, right? I know I would love to talk about memberships and opening up multi-trades, but you recently sold to the Wrench Group in 2019. Mm -hmm. I really want to hear from you about, you know, what that process was like for you. Uh, fit, uh, you know, actually, like, you know, fit, like, like tactically, mm -hmm. um, emotionally, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, what are some challenges you're facing as you, you know, want to set the next weight, like the next uh, generation up, I guess, for the kids to continue the kingdom of cool today. Correct. Well, um, 2019, I did sell uh, March, uh, February 29th, 28th of 2019, uh, we closed on the transaction to merge with the Wrench Group. And the Wrench Group um, is a owned by private equity. And uh, so private equity has now entered the space where consolidation used to be. So what's the difference? Well, first, private equity, they're in there for the financial aspect of the business, whereas consolidation, they're in there for the financial and the operational aspect of the business. And then the second one is where it gets dicey, right? Um, whereas wrench is a kind of a pull through best practice, better practice type organization, consolidation, whether it be ARS service experts, they're a push down mm -hmm. practice. So um, 
I would have never sold my business to either one of those. And I was courted. But I just felt that the culture would change. And uh, it bothered, it, it, I don't have it in my uh, DNA to uh, get a, a nice payday and walk away. Um, sometimes it's good for the owner to walk away. Sometimes it's not, right? If they're the chief people person and the culture protector and also the face of the marketing, you have to figure out a plan to walk away because you're not doing the buyer any justice by just doing it. Um, so Wrench was the type of company that had a certain level of autonomy with the combined uh, ability to drive best practices through our organization in such a way that it's not impactful on the customer or the employee. And that's primarily due to the fact that the CEO, COO, uh, and many of the leaders in Wrench are from the Blue Dot people. They uh, saw the good, the bad, the ugly of consolidation. So yes, you want to drive through some consistency, but you have to be respectful to local culture, environment, relationships. So they're, they're very respectful of that. And you know what, to be in the industry and to have the CEO of Wrench be somebody you've known 32 years, is a huge benefit. Not a lot of your listeners would get that. Um, so in the last, in the transformation in a little over a year, um, we've acquired two more businesses. We've um, gotten some uh, more aspects of Service Titan implemented that we didn't before and maybe never would have, like perpetual inventory, because I'm not a big, I'm a CPA and I'm not a big perpetual inventory guy. Yeah. Because I'd rather have no inventory. But, you know, if you're a big uh, corporation and we're still a big corporation, you have to have some things, uh, some controls in place. And I think a perpetual inventory is good uh, when you're dealing with an outside auditor <laughs> to say you have, right? And actually do it. So they, we've implemented perpetual inventory. The thing I like they bring to the table, things that I don't, I would not have been good at like data science like uh, really uh, pulling information out of your database that you would have never gotten. Things, tools uh, like uh, data aggregation tools that go on top of Service Titan and grab data instead of us bothering you for every different type of report possible. There are data aggregators out there that can allow you to get uh, data real time and manage your business better. So they brought that to the table. And um, in the process of some of the hard things to do and some of the things maybe I would not have done on my own and would have rather not done, I got to really take the perspective. There's things we're getting at the company level that we probably would have never gotten. And it's a huge benefit. Like I have key managers that have uh, options, stock options. I could have never done that on my own. And so they have an opportunity to earn um, a large payday someday when we sell again and we will be sold again. If that bothers you, then, you know, it's not for you, but we are, uh, somebody's going to have a financial interest. Somebody's going to have an operational interest. The good thing about ranch is they, they keep the operational interest at the local level and they keep the financial interest at the, uh, at the equity, um, the private equity level. And 
So I, I would say in the last year and 12 months, we are running with the Eagles. I mean, the companies that are part of Wrench are very best. I'm one of the smaller companies. Dang. Yeah. yeah. Dang. So I'm, I'm, and I'm, I am competitive. I don't want to, I want to be the lead sled dog because the view from the back is not so great. So <laughs> they are high performers and it's going to drive us to be even higher performing. So it's been very good for me. And of course I, you have to be, when you're selling your company, you have to be mentally ready. You have to be emotionally ready and you have to be in some cases physically ready. The fun part for me has been, I'm still doing what I would have done. Um, maybe with some less burden, right? Because I don't have the financial burden anymore, honestly. Um, and I'm still invested because I own stock in the entity and it's given me some life choices I could do differently. Um, and I'm 58 years old. So there was a time for that and, um, I'm giving it my all. And I would, people ask me all the time, my employees specifically, um, they said, when are you going to leave? Kind of hate when they say put it that way, right? Like something. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like oh, the, you, you want me to go? It's it's like your doctor coming to you and say, when do you plan to die? Uh, <laughs> no, I really never plan to die, uh, and I never really have a plan to leave. But I said, as soon as the company either doesn't need me anymore, or honestly, I can't move it any further, that'll be my time. And. Uh, or it could be a combination of both because you have to constantly develop and grow. If you're going to, if your company's to grow, you have to grow. The, I see a lot of times the owner stops growing, the company stops growing. And uh, if you're not developing and growing yourself and growing others, your company will stop growing and stop getting better. It's just a fact of life. So it's been great growth for us. And Wrench has been, um, an awesome partner, family, uh, team. That's awesome. I love how, so essentially by selling to wrench, you've, I like that you said, you know, freed myself of certain financial burdens and it's now just given you more access and data and information to really make some really cool strategic decisions. So it almost sounds like partnering with wrench selling to wrench, was the next step in your evolution as an owner and in the evolution of the company. Yeah. Sometimes you get uh, too big to actually be sold efficiently. You know, my, I had a joke with my kids when they were younger, they were teenagers and they said, dad, are we going to get the company? And I said, well, you think you can afford it? <laughs> and he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, it's going to go to the highest bidder. I mean, if you can match the bid, it's all yours. I said, but honestly, I, I'm not here to fund your experiment in life. And I was being um, straight. I wasn't being mean, but yeah. I was really matter of fact with them. And I say, and I said, listen, it, I want you guys to pursue what you want to pursue and not feel you're doing it because dad did it and he's doing pretty good. So I'll do pretty good. That's just doesn't mean you're going to do pretty good. I'm sorry. I mean, you were born in the right gene pool, but doesn't mean you have the right genes. So you, you have to figure this out for yourself. If it comes around and you feel you want to circle back around and do it, I'll be your biggest supporter. 
and working with family is, is, is a beautiful thing and it's tough sometimes. And, you know, my, you know, my son worked for me too, and uh, he had a, a master's degree in finance and I put him in accounting and I, I was growing the business so much and I was so spread out. Honestly, I didn't give him the support he needed to be successful in, in accounting. And I think he came to realization he liked uh, certain aspects of it, but he hated a lot of the aspects of it. He was smart enough to do it so much better than me. I mean, he's smarter than me. And it, it took his courage to come to me and say, you know what, this is not for me. Um, I'd like your support to move on. And uh, I was proud of him because he, he was braver than I am. We both knew there was the elephant in the room and we weren't talking about it. And uh, so, uh, he came to work for you guys, and I, I watch him working for you with the enthusiasm he would have never had working for me. Yeah. And, uh, and those listeners that have Anthony Domenico uh, as their as their, um, their CSM, they're very lucky because he is he is such a hard worker, um, and he's so dedicated to, to Service Titan, and um, so I'm proud of him for that because he found something he loves. He loves helping people. Uh -huh. And when you're the uh, controller of a company, yeah, it's nice to be loved, but you have to have the other hand too, the little harder hand, the little less uh, accepting hand, a little, hey, I'm, I'm gonna support you, but you know what, we gotta put certain controls in place. And those were the things that were his DNA. He is really a smart person that helps people figure things out. And boy, he's, per he's in the perfect job right now. And he, he was good with his people. His people love working for him too. So he can manage people. It's just, he's really enjoying the process of helping people. Uh, better utilize Service Titan. Yeah, no, we love Anthony. He's such a uh, bright, what he was in, I saw him in Glendale a couple times, obviously before COVID and he was such a bright spot. He's based out of Atlanta, right? Yes. So he's nice and close to you, that's good. Um, yes. So I really want to ask this question. You know, you, I know you served on the board of Nexstar, which is, uh, best, which is our better practices organization. Mm -hmm. You're a big, you're a big believer in better practices. You also have mentored a lot of contractors in the space. You're very open. What are some of the most common mistakes that you see contractors making in their business that you often have to help them correct? And I use mistakes and correction, not you know, to be very harsh, but to uh, make the question as simple as possible. And I'll just put a caveat in there. I saw them making the same mistakes I've made and, uh, and sometimes still make today. So part of being in business is you're gonna make mistakes whether you like it or not. There's no perfect business. so no perfect way. Um, so some of the, uh, mistakes I see made is contractors that go and get a lot of information and implement about 5% of it. And if you don't implement something, you never know whether it works or not. And I've always tell this to my people. And I tell this to anybody I'm mentoring. I'd rather implement a bad idea well than a good idea terribly. Mm. Because you learn something from the bad idea and you know you've implemented well, it's just a bad idea. It doesn't mean it was a bad idea in general. It couldn't have been bad for your company. It could have been bad for your people. You just weren't fit for that, right? Yeah. If you come back and say, you know what? I'm going to put everybody on peace rate and incentive pay. And you, and you do it terribly. 
you're going to just say, it was just a bad idea. It was working for that guy, but it wasn't working for me. Was it a bad idea? Or did you suck at putting it in place? Mm. And if you sucked at putting it in place, you just robbed your company of an opportunity for your people to earn more money, for you to raise your revenue levels, to do a lot of things other people are doing the right way when they're doing it the right way. So uh, the, the biggest mistakes I see is them saying, yeah, that's a great idea. And they go back and they get right back in that hamster wheel and they're running a hundred miles an hour and then bitching about what, where they're at because they're in that hamster wheel. When other people are getting out of their hamster wheels and they're learning. And, and I've mentored some companies, um, uh, Keegan and Chad Hodges from Best Home Services down in, down in uh, Naples. I mean, they were in my office in 2012 when they first started taking a company over. They were just this little $3 million electrical company. And they were, they came in and we showed them everything we did. And of course they were next star. We were next star. And you know what? They're just as smart as anybody else I've met, but they are probably the, in the top 5% of implementers. Mm. They'll go back and implement the hell out of stuff. And then once they, and we were, we were still friendly today, friendly competitors, but once they felt, Hey, you know what, we, we learned, let's go explore. So they went to other companies and they found other things and they implemented advertising, marketing operations. Um, and they were great implementers and they grew that company to over 40 million from 2012 to 2019. And, and they sold to another private equity. So they were just good at implementing and they were good at learning. And that's probably the biggest challenge most uh, contractors have is lack of implementation, lack of learning from what they observing and agree is a good idea or just prioritizing the wrong thing, right? So um, I guess that's my biggest thing I've seen. and if I start working with somebody and I, I never charge, I'm not, I'm, you know what I mean? I'm just giving back to the community and whether it be through next or whatever, when somebody stops calling me and I call them, I'm calling them just to check in on them. I figured, you know what, if they're not calling me and I'm the only one calling them, I guess they don't need me anymore. Hmm. So I, I just wait for them to call me again. Right. And um, so sometimes uh, the teacher will appear when the student shows up. And um, so that's the second thing. If you have a mentor or if you have somebody you really want to learn from, don't ignore them. Sometimes just call them and tell them what's going on because they're not mind readers. Um, tell them what's going on and don't only call them for problems. Call them what the good things are happening. So those are the two big takeaways on that. No, totally. I mean, I've heard this before because my job at Service Titan is to give better practices to everyone through webinars, through podcasts. You and I did a fantastic webinar on memberships because you are the memberships king and we're not going to have enough time to really go into it, but I will link it in the show notes. So people can access it. I've heard from several people, you know, out of all the people that attend, only about 2% are actually going to try and do what you just said. So when we talk about implementation, whether that be implementing um, commission or implementing a membership program, when you're mentoring someone, 
how do you how can you differentiate between a good implementer and a poor implementer? The good implementer uh, checks back. Uh, the good implementer uh, tells you what they've seen from it. Uh, the good implementer will ask questions if something doesn't work right. They'll say, "I didn't, I didn't get the result," and I'll talk to them about the steps they took, and they'll they'll say, "Oh, I didn't do that." I said, "Well, maybe that was a link in the chain that you really needed." And then they learn from it, and then they re-implement. Right? They don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's another old love that phrase anachronistic <laughs> anachronistic. Uh, uh, um, saying that I'm, I'm thrown out at it, but really it's the truth. It's the, one of the things like, ah, that wasn't a good idea, you know, and, um, and they're still at the same place. They're, they're like 20% bigger than they were 10 years ago and they can't figure it out. And they say, well, why can't I grow? And I said, well, it always starts with you. You want to be, you want to get all the accolades for the successes? Well, you got to take the, the hit for the things that aren't going right. And if you have a lousy employee, um, it's your fault. If you have a terrible manager, it's your fault. If you're not delivering great service, it's your fault. If your Titan score is 50, it's your fault. Taking accountability is the key to improvement. Mm. Never lay it off on anybody else but you. If you say, I'd like the, owning my own business because I can make my own decisions, there's a benefit. I don't like my business because my people suck. Well, you just can't say that. It's you. It's always you. That's why consolidation has failed miserably because they disregard the importance of the person responsible for that location and everything that comes out of that location is the is the because of the great people that person's hired and everything that's crappy about that location is because of the leader. It's not the people, it's the leader. So taking mm -hmm. accountability is critical. Yeah, and I think that's honestly, that's not just applicable for the traits, that's applicable for literally any business venture. Um, sure. Yeah. One one of the things I absolutely love about doing these interviews is I'm kind of getting my own personal MBA from it. So I appreciate, you know, the time and attention you gave me here. Um, I have some rapid fire questions that are just designed for fun that I'm okay. asking everyone for this season. But before I jump to those, is there anything that you wish we had talked about that we didn't? Hmm. Yeah, we covered quite a bit of uh, fields here. Um, uh, we stayed on the agenda, and I and I think we've had some tangential conversations, but I think we stayed on the football field. We were goal line to goal line or sideline to sideline. So um, uh, I would say uh, nothing that I can think of right now. Yeah, I think we yeah I think we went off on the field. We got a hot dog. We came back. But yeah, yeah I agree. All right, you ready for some good rapid fire? It was, it was a really good hot dog. It was a very good hot dog. Um, ready for some rapid fire questions? Sure. All right. How do you take your coffee? Black. If you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Ooh, that's a good one. Jack Welch, GE. Ooh. What's the number one thing you're trying to learn more about right now? Myself. Mm. Oh, geez. We could have a whole existential podcast just on that well, answer. Can I, can I run off the sideline here one second? Please. So I'm part of a, uh, a business best practices group 
through our church with business leaders. And one of the assignments this semester is a sabbatical. No net, no TV, no, no people. It's supposed to be a week. We, we all agreed to trim it to three days. And I told my wife this, I said, you know what? I don't think I've been alone for more than a day in my life. Grew up six kids in New York in a three bedroom house, you know, went right from there to college. I, I don't think I've, I've always had roommates, been married. I don't think I've been alone. So it's the scariest thing for me. So that is going to be an opportunity to just for self-discovery. Um, can I say I'm very excited for you. I think you're really going to like it. It's one of us. I think you really will. I, uh, one of my personal goals was I wanted to live by myself before I got married. Um, and I'm currently living that. And I got to say, you really discover the parts about you that you love. I think you're going to, it'll be hard, but you'll like it. Um, keep me updated. I want to hear. Okay. Um, okay. Next question. If money weren't an object, which kind of may be the thing, uh, what's the first thing you would do? So if you had unlimited resources. If I would uh, figure out a way to have more time to help more people. Very nice. What's the number one thing every contractor should do to run a successful business? Get, get connected with people who already have. That's great. Well, Jamie D. Domenico, thank you so much for being a guest on Toolbox for the Trades. I really, really liked this conversation a lot. It's mutual. Uh, if, if people want to find you, should they just go to Cool Today and uh, send a, send a inquiry or anything like that? Are you on? Uh, you're on. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, they can Google my name. It's it's spelled Jaime, J A I M E, <laughs> at CoolToday.com, and you can email me directly. I always try to get back and uh, and stay on me if I don't. That's the only thing. I'm, uh, you're not a bother. It's just a. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff going through, uh, going through right now. So it's always hard to stay on it, but I, I will stay on it. All right. Well, thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jamie. To learn how he generates $23 million in revenue per year on memberships alone, go to servicetitan.com slash Jamie, spelled J-A-I-M-E, or click the link in our show notes. Ever wonder how much your business is worth? So many owners ask that question and have no idea where to turn for an answer. In just a few clicks, Service Titan's new Service Business Valuation Calculator can give you an easy and free estimate of the current value of your business. Whether you're thinking about selling your company or looking to track growth, check it out now. Visit servicetitan.com value. Again, that's servicetitan.com value. See how much your business is worth today. Want to network with fellow service entrepreneurs and former guests of this podcast? Join our private Facebook group, Toolbox for the Trades, to get immediate access to the best tips, tricks, and tactics from fellow service entrepreneurs. Visit facebook.com slash group slash toolbox for the trades, or click the link in our show notes to join. See you online.